Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today is a very special Christmas episode with my good friend Jordan Morgan. Jordan, welcome to the show. <laughs> well, I thank you, Charlie. I look forward to our annual Christmas bash every year. Uh, Tis the season. It's how I officially kick off Christmas. Did we? Okay. So, uh, for anybody who hasn't listened in the past, Jordan, for inexplicable reasons, uh, this is your third episode on, right? I think. <laughs> the launched people's champ over here. Yeah. Yeah. To some people's chagrin. Uh, I won't name any names, Josh. Uh, but uh, uh, Josh Holt. So, so, I had you on... Uh, right towards the beginning of starting this show. I don't think it was that first week, but it was pretty much right after to talk about SpinStack, your app about um, tracking your spending. <laughs> Stacking spending. Stacking spending. Man, I'm already off the rails here. I feel... we. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is the Christmas episode. This is how it goes. Don't expect professionalism here, everybody. Uh, this will be... This will go off the rails. In fact, uh, I will probably throw at the end of this recording part of our pre-show conversation because it kind of got into into some real stuff and uh that might be interesting so uh i expect shenanigans here but let's bring it uh yeah so i had you on to talk about spin stack and then about a year later uh you did a retrospective post plus did a big release on spin stack and that was right around the time that mm, i released yeah. dark noise 2 and more or less as an excuse to talk about stuff and to hang out with you again i brought you on to kind of like talk about both of those things together and that ended up being really fun and then this year i was like i should do some sort of christmas special thing but i couldn't think of an idea and then i was like i should just have jordan on again uh, because jordan released uh, a book a best in class ios app book series is that is that the the right title i feel like it's i never know the full way to say it yeah and you know it's it's like my fault because I messed up the marketing so much with it. But yes, it is a book series. So I had to do a command F, command, you know, like replace dance on the marketing website the other day because I keep confusing everyone. But yes, it is a book series, five books. Yeah. And, and it's on iOS development. And it's sort of like a growth of your popular blog post from a while ago. Uh, I think the blog post was just called Best in Class iOS App. And it was like your yeah. internal checklist mm -hmm. that you'd been keeping for forever on um, the things that you see in other apps that feel like make them a best in class app. So this is like, you know, things about like design or quality, uh, you know, standard stuff like that, but also like accessibility, what iOS hooks is it hooking into? What, you know, conventions is it following? That kind of thing. I think the official four pillars that I came up with were uh, accessibility, like you mentioned, design, user experience. And then the biggest one is iOS APIs, which, you know, covers all the, the fun stuff like CloudKit, widgets, all that. And then there's a fifth kind of catch-all book that I made that's with the, uh, with the series called like just Tool Belt Expansion, which is like, here's some cool CLI tools. Uh, here's how you use instruments, uh, stuff like that. But, but yeah, those first four are the big ones. Okay. So, so you had that post and then you had SpinStack. You've been doing updates to SpinStack. I think, I guess since the last time we've talked on this show, you sold SpinStack, which you have some great mm -hmm. posts about that whole process. And that was fascinating to watch. We won't probably get too much in the weeds on that here. And then after that, I guess you were, were you looking after that for what your next 
thing was going to be? Like, how did you go from that point to the book series, I guess, is the story I want to pull out here. Yeah. So, it it's kind of like I had this career checklist in things, which I still do, of, of stuff that I really want to do professionally. You had a checklist? <laughs> it's entirely surprising if you know me at all. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, man. Uh yeah, if anyone has seen the the series Westworld, there's a part where like the androids are like, yeah, humans can just be broken down in this algorithm. And I was like, that's crazy. And then I like have my whole life in things of how <laughs> I want to live it. So I was like, maybe they're onto something. Uh, yeah, anyways, so after the app was done and, you know, SpinStack was sold, one of the things that I always wanted to do was like write a book or do a video course or do something like that. And as you probably know, anything that's a side project takes a lot of time. So I figured out that when I do one big thing like SpinStack, I couldn't write as many blog posts. Uh, like that was the thing that I gave up. So after doing all this development work, I was like, you know what? I'll shift gears. I don't have an app right now. I'm going to definitely start one at some point. So like now, now or never with this book idea. Um, because I have no self-control, I decided let's do five books instead of one because <laughs> what's better than scope creep? Nothing. So, so yeah, it was just like, it was one of those things that I've always wanted to do. I love writing a lot. I love teaching a lot. So it, it was like a natural fit, but like anything, it's turned into something bigger than I originally planned. And there's good things about that. And there's things that I don't like about that. Uh, but yeah, it was just one of those things that, hey, I've always wanted to do this. I don't have an app. I will have an app probably for the rest of my life after this point anyways. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and do this now. So uh, here we are about, I don't know, I, I think I released the first version in May. So six six months into it. I don't think it'll be done anytime soon. Um, but But yeah, it was just like the next thing up, you know. Okay. So you thought I want to either write a book or do a video course or something like that. How did you end up landing on taking the best in class app uh, blog post and sort of turning that into a book? The big thing I learned with SpinStack is I wanted to try and be as lean as possible because again, if anyone's followed me with SpinStack or read any of my blog posts, I took years and years to make it. So I wanted to see, could I actually do an MVP version of anything? Cause that's like my weakness, my kryptonite, right? Like I don't ever ship MVPs in a way because I just am bad at doing that. Yeah. What is the uh, cable SaaS thing? Yeah. Maximally viable product? Maximally uh, lo lovable product or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. He's he's always got a good acronym for everything. <laughs> um, so I was like, all right, I'm going to validate that people would even want this before I go down that rabbit hole. So I did a few uh, entirely scientific and 100% accurate things like a Twitter poll. And I was like, hey, <laughs> I have my best in class post. I could make that into a book series. Would anybody actually want this slash, you know, pay pay money for it? Because that's another, I won't go on another tangent with this, but I've often spoke about like with side projects, I can't really justify them to myself unless they bring like income in for so many reasons, right? It motivates me. Uh, it makes me make the product better. Uh, I have so little free time anyways. Like I want to make sure that I'm making it worth my while and other people's, uh, you know, while too. So money's also pretty awesome just as a thing. Yeah. You know, it does a lot of good things. It does. It does. It opens a lot of doors. So, you know, I uh, got a good response on that and threw up a mailing list and I just tried not to overthink anything. Usually I wanted to build like my own custom landing page, do all the stuff, like do, do my own email signup service. But I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get on. It wasn't MailChimp. What's, what's the other one? Convert kit. I was like, I'm just going to mm -hmm. spin this up, see what happens. So my internal goal was if I can get 500 people to say that they want this, then I'll do it. Uh, and it was like in the first first day, I think that I got that. I, I mean, we're on a 
you know, group message thread. And I think I even told you, I was like, whoa, <laughs> like this is going better than I thought. Like people are already signing up for it. Uh, so then I kicked it off. And then I knew right away that I was not going to get the whole book series like done and then release it. Uh, I was just going to, you know, do a piecemeal. Like a- after I have some stuff done, after I feel good about doing like a beta release version one content wise, then I'd go ahead and put it out there. So by those measures, I've done exactly what I set out to do is get a beta out there and do it as quickly as I can. Have you seen somebody do that before? Like where did that idea of uh, not just writing a book and then releasing the book, but to do it in a like beta book process come from? Because I, I haven't ever seen that before, but I'm, I feel like you read a lot more than I do. So maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe this is something that's out there as a concept. <laughs> I have many leather bound books, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, you know, I hadn't just, particularly seen it in like a book slash course slash content creator form, but I've seen it a lot in software. So I always talk about applying these lessons I learned from SpinStack over to this. So knowing that I wouldn't have it done for so long after I did the outline and kind of saw what I wanted to make, uh, I knew I'd lose motivation if people didn't have it and people were, you know, saying they actually wanted by proving it with paying with their own money for it. Um, So it was like out of necessity more than just like some marketing slickness. It was just this thing's going to die if I don't put it out there just right. straight up. I'm not going to do it. Um, and that's where that came from. I've seen it a little bit more now. Um, and I'm not going to say I t- take any credit for that, which which I won't. But uh, my coworker, Joe, who is just a, an Android savant, has been working on this uh, kind of similar course for Android. And he's done the similar thing. And, you know, that's kind of one thing I was telling him, like, you know, mine's going to take so long. People want it and they're fine with getting it in pieces. So, you know, maybe you could try the same thing. Um, is that is that partially out? Yeah, I think he released it the other day. Um, oh, nice. We'll we'll link that in the show notes. As we were talking about on the uh, super interesting B-roll, uh, <laughs> I, I stay off Twitter like the last three weeks of the year just to decompress. Uh, but I checked in and I saw that he released it. So, I need to tell him uh, congrats. But Nice. What is that called? Do you know the name of it off the top of your head? Uh, his Twitter handle is Hi There Joe. I, fr- I think it's called Compose Academy is what he called it. Okay. But yeah, he's got videos and, and a bunch of stuff. But all that to say, it's like if you've got something, uh, a true MVP, and again, that's such a loaded term these days, but like something people can get value out of and they're willing to pay money for it, like I don't see any reason to to kind of hold it back. Uh, it's just you're going to get feedback. It's going to get better. You'll be more motivated. So it's a win all the way around. Um, there's different variances to, to how true that is. But for something like a book series, that's going to take me a year, maybe two years to finish. Uh, I just can't sit on it that long. I need the feedback and I need the motivation and people want to read it. Thankfully. I do think there's, there's a couple layers to that though. Like one, I think there's part of why people are willing to do that is you already have a reputation because they are paying for a thing that they're, they're paying for something not based on necessarily what it is right now, but what it's going to be in the future. Sure. And that's something that requires quite a bit of trust, which you already have built in that community. But I don't know that anybody could just, do that, you know, coming off the street without having built that trust. And then the flip side of that is you, you are spending trust to, to do that. And now people are expecting that you're going to deliver on that. And so, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's a risk that if, if you did burn out or, I mean, I know you and your personality. And so, uh, <laughs> I have almost a hundred percent confidence that that's not something that would happen. But if you were the personality type where you're like, it can, for ah, sure. I could see just like losing steam and being bored of this and not actually finishing that would like burn a lot of trust in the community. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, yeah. and there's some risks to that. So I, I think like, you know, if you were a person looking at this as an option, it's not necessarily a hundred percent 
this is the way to go, right? It's kind of like, right. uh, there's definitely some risk involved in that. And, and it requires trust maybe that you've already built up. Yeah, it does. And it's intimidating too, because on the website itself, it says, Hey, you'll get, you know, updates every two weeks. I, I think I wrote, wrote bi-weekly, which, which is funny because I never know how to say that correctly. Yeah. Twice a week. Why are they not getting two, two updates a week? Quentin Jordan? who makes streaks. <laughs> yeah. He, he like messaged me. He's like, wait, is this like an American thing? Does this mean like every two weeks, uh, twice a month? That's why you say fortnightly. <laughs> fortnightly. Oh, I love it. And you're <laughs> the one that says, uh, I read more than you. Come on. You got all the good terms. I listen, I listen to podcasts by British people. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the way to go. I work with British people, so I should know that. I should know that. Um, I, I picked up the term whilst, so I'm trying to use that more. I think it makes Ooh, me sound that's a, good uh, one. a lot smarter than I am. Yes. <laughs> uh, but anyways, I was really worried about that initially because I'm saying every two weeks, here's gonna there's going to be more update. And for small things like, uh, you know, my Christmas vacation, at first I was really hesitant to be like, hey, I'm taking this three weeks off. I'm just going to spend it with my family. I'm not going to do anything with the book. Uh, I'll pick back up when I go back to work and then that'll start the two week cycle. So the next update is like January 20th. And like at first I was really like nervous, like, are they going to be upset? Cause that's not like what I said to a T, you know, like, Hey, right. it'll be every two weeks. But at that point, like you said, that trust was built up cause I already had six months worth of updates coming every two weeks to the letter. So it's like, they know that it's not like you're abandoning it. Yeah. They know I'm going to be good for it. And so, and, and that's the motivation with the money too. Like people have paid for this. So like I want to deliver on it and, and do a really good job. And the more sales they come in, the more it makes you just want to you know, keep working on it. I think that's true universally with like every product. Like if you have a side project that keeps making money, like you want to invest more into it because it's it's motivating. You you feel like you've got that product market fit. Um, you wonder how far you can grow it. All those, you know, several reasons out there for why you'd want to do it. But yeah, I mean, trust is a huge part of it. I don't think to your point that I could have done this maybe four, four years ago, for example. Um, the landscape was different. Um, but that's why I tried to spend so much time uh, building up as much trust as I could. And there's so many different ways that you can do that. You know, sharing transparently is a big one, uh, which I've always tried to do a spin stack, you know, giving free things away. I don't know how to say that the re- in a good way with like content, mar- content marketing is a better way. And there's other people that I look to that were doing this, that are doing this way better than me to, to kind of learn from, uh, in the web world. Uh, there's, uh, someone named Josh Como, who's doing a CSS course, which I, which I bought with my learning stipend from work. I love it. Uh, but he does, I, I just copied a lot from him. He's got a, a giant newsletter. He's got a great blog where you get a lot of value from it. And, uh, you know, you can see, you can call it what you want, but like in my mind, I think of it like in marketing terms, like there's top of funnel marketing, like is, is, is this great blog. Then eventually you get on the newsletter and he gives you like a free ebook for that. And then you're like, okay, I trust that this person is putting out, you know, quality stuff. I'm learning from it. He's got a course. I think that I trust him enough to, to invest in that. And that is going to be good. Um, and I'm suck at CSS. So anything about CSS is good for me anyways. <laughs> so, uh, but all that to say, yeah, I, I try to kind of emulate that kind of process in my own work while I'm doing this content creator type stuff, which is a total 180 from like having an indie app. But, you know, it's fun to, to learn the ropes of it and kind of see what that world is like. Okay. So you decided to make a book series based on your blog post. You decided to do a early access sort of beta version of the app and then release updates as you go, which is, you know, an interesting kind of novel idea. Sure. What was sort of the next step? Like, 
pre-announcing this, or did you, I guess you sort of announced this in, immediately because you were sending polls to see if you should even bother doing it. But yeah, um, before you started asking for any money, you know, what, what had you built leading up to that? So the process was I did the Twitter poll. I put up a landing page as quick as I could. Um, super bare bones with the email sign up. And then once I crossed that threshold, I talked about of like 500 signups. At that point, I started writing the book right when I hit like that internal metric. So I came up with uh, the table of contents for everything. I sent that out to the emailing list. And then I did about two or three more updates saying here, here's what I'm going uh, towards. Here's what I'm working on. And I just had like a, a goal. Again, try not to act surprised. Brace yourself. I had a recurring uh, task and things to tweet about it like once a week, share some progress. Um, and then finally, I got nine chapters done. And I was like, okay, I think this is enough to where they would start reading it and it would take them a little bit to, you know, they just can't get it and be done with it in like five minutes. This would right. take like, you know, a, a while to read. I'm good with releasing this. So the hardest part was structuring what it was going to look like. What I really wanted to do, but I wasn't able to, was to have tiered pricing, which is like, just get all the books for X dollars or just get all the books, get like, you know, a video course and a demo project mm. for Y dollars. Because it's a lot easier to do two things. One, to make more money as uh, the person selling it because you have different options. But two, I think it demonstrates the value propositions a lot better right. than if you just have one package. Um, but that was something I had to cut with with scope. So I just shoved it all together. Um, I said, you know what? There'll be a demo project. I cut the video courses. I'm glad I did. That was way too overambitious. But I let people know beforehand, like, hey, I'm not going to be able to do this. Um, and here's the five books. So that that's what you'll get in the Discord access, which by the way, thank you for being a beta tester to every single community platform <laughs> <laughs> available when I was trying to figure out what to use. Oh man. Uh, but yeah, so once I had that together, I was like, all right, I'm going to ship it. So um, I have a blog post kind of going into deep uh, going into detail about that, but I took the day off work, you know, got everything ready, you know, got, made sure I had a spot scoped out to to press the launch button, um, read a few more blog posts to get in a good state of mind of like some tips. Uh, another one that I leaned on was uh, the CSS or Tailwind CSS creator, Adam, I forget his name, last name, Wathan, Wathan, something like that. Uh, he's not hard to find on Twitter. Uh, very, very prominent guy in the, in the web dev world, but he initially had a blog post of his first course that he made and he had like a, a prescriptive like step process that he took. And one of the things that he said was he pre-announced it on the day of like, hey, I'm about to launch this. If you want to share it, that'd be super awesome. It'll be ready in like an hour. So so I did that and I really loved that idea because it got people kind of, I don't want to say hyped up, but like ready and they knew it was coming. Interesting. Um, and so then, then I hit the launch button. Yeah. And then I said, okay, here it is. And I don't know if it, if it made any difference, but I mean, it was shared very well. So how, how similar did that feel to app development? Cause that, that reminds me of what I did totally on accident with dark noise, where I had a big beta group and was basically like teasing and launching and talking about the launch day, the whole time leading up to it. Yeah. And then like, I was learning how Apple's, uh, automatic release process worked because I had done the pre-release thing. And so, yes. so like I was constantly tweeting about like, all right, it should be going live in an hour, but let me know if you see it. And, uh, Oh, somebody in New Zealand started seeing it or whatever, you know? <laughs> and so because of that, it, there was like uh, you did it. a community of people that were all talking about it with me, not necessarily as like, Hey, check out this thing this person made, but just kind of like, Oh, Hey, look, I'm seeing it here. And like, people were just, interested because they're interested in helping me but it did kind of create that uh 
that buzz, I guess, because a bunch of people yes. are talking about oh, it. Oh, and that was um, good. Leading into that release. Yeah, yeah. You hit it out of the park with that. I remember like the next day when you tweeted like the sales since it takes 24 hours and you, know, and you had your now signature eyeballs uh, emoji. <laughs> Did I do that um, back then? Like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, it was like 900 something. I was like, oh boy. If, if uh, you know, if you had the good editing, we could do the, the fake cursing bleep. But that's yeah. what I was like, good <laughs> night. Like that thing sold a ton. Um, and yeah, I mean, you get people kind of primed for it in a way, right? Instead of just cold dropping it uh, right out of nowhere. But I loved that. I think I'll kind of keep that up when I have another launch in like 16 years when I'm done with the, the book series. But <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was such a fun day. I mean, I, I'm so sentimental. I write everything in like my day one journal. So I like, you know, was reflecting on the process and it was just surreal to see like the Gumroad notifications. Like as soon as I pressed it, it was like, dink, 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 you know, and they start rolling in. Oh, because you're getting like actual live updates, not the super delayed updates you get from App Store Connect. Yeah. And that was way different too. So many different ways that uh, it's different than the App Store. Um, but yeah, so it was like instant feedback, you know, and then like I saw people like joining the Discord room and I was like, oh, like this is Maybe this is going to work out because you never know. Like nothing's a sure bet. Um, I've released things that that haven't worked, but I feel like this was the one I prepared most for. And I had the most like experience and lessons to draw from right. to use and make sure that it could work as good as it could. Um, and so up to that point, you know, I'd just been like someone who made the indie app spin stack and on Twitter, at least, you know, and, you know, wrote every now and then and had that best in class list. So I think in a way, like people were kind of, they, they could kind of level with where I was at and kind of help, help me along and root for me like we all do in the iOS community. Um, and there's not, I mean, it, it, it's a big community, but it's really small too, right? Like you can right. count like the, the content creators on like one or two hands, you know, there, there, there's Paul, of course, he's got, you know, everything under the sun on Swift, you know, and then you got John and then there's, there's Sean Allen, you know, you, like, you know, uh, the, the people we all know and love, Antoine, Donnie. It's never good when you start listing names because uh, then no matter what, when you go yeah, back you're like, and listen, oh, no, you're who did I like, miss? how did I not say X, Y, Z? So apologies in advance for anybody I know, who missed actually, on the fly. Oh, <laughs> Oh, and I'm glad you said it. So one that I really love that I, I started following recently, and I apologize because I'm going to mess up the name, is Sauron, uh, S-A-R-U-N. But basically, his Twitter feed is an RSS feed of his blog, and it's so good. Um, so I love his stuff, too. Yeah, I'll link to that. But yeah, I mean, there's a niche community inside of a niche community already, um, you know. So it was kind of fun to to kind of join that kind of uh, group for, for a little bit. So the initial value proposition was nine chapters of an accessibility book that were ready mm -hmm. and then the sort of promise of regular updates backed by you know trust in in you and the trust that you've already built in the community um and also uh access to a discord which is like anybody who buys the book has access access to this discord where they can talk to you talk to each other mm -hmm. and then uh there was other pieces to it right code sample project would be the last one code sample project yeah 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 okay yeah what was the what was the thinking behind the discord like why why take that on as an additional piece right yeah so that was the part that i like deliberated on the most and i would say beforehand that was the one that was like stressing me out a little bit like everything else was was good that one i was really really iffy on but i decided at the end that a good majority of people that buy this probably are early on in their iOS right. journey. Not all of them, but you know, some of them will be. And I knew I would have feedback on the book. 
Uh, I hate using email, honestly, so I didn't want to like do the back and forth there. So if I had a low cost, actually by low cost, I mean free, if I had a free way to engage with these people that are buying it and help them out here and there, then I figured why not, you know? And it was scary because it seems so permanent, right? Like I always have to have this now going forward. Like, and it's weird, but like, those are the things I think about. Yeah. Like 20 years from now, do I still have to, you know, (laughs) mess around with this discord thing, you know? But I was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to try it. And if it, if it's just a terrible thing that stresses me out or people don't use, or it just doesn't work, then, uh, then I'll just kill it. You know, that's what I'll do. It's beta, uh, access to the book right now, the book series and things can change. But it's been really low stress uh, and that's been good. And it's done what I wanted to. You know, when people have typos that they find, they just leave them there. If they have a quick question about some API or, you know, hey, where should I find a tutorial on this? They'll ask it in there too. Um, so it's been a net positive. And I think only about a quarter of the people that buy the book end up joining it. I think uh, last time I updated my sales, which which this is a whole other tangent we could go on sometime, uh, the way that I just rigged that thing up on a statically generated page to draw sales from a series shortcut is so hacky. <laughs> but I think I said there's like 1,300 sales or something like that. So And the, and the community has like th- maybe three to 400 people in it. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been easy to use, but the main thing that I want to do with that was not like add another value proposition. You know, like you have that check mark of like, here's all the things you get. Right, yeah. Um, it was more of just like, I want to make the communication super easy. So like if someone has an issue or someone found some glaring mistake, they can just get a hold of me right then and there. And I don't have to do the dance back and forth with the email. So it kind of plays into the, um, what you said earlier was one of the like important principles of like transparency and frequent communication. It's like, Mm, yeah, it gives you a really nice avenue. That's not a newsletter or email updates or Twitter where people might not actually be. Um, to communicate with people who are looking for that regular updates and and ability to ask questions yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and it's always fun. It's like a nice little uh, dopamine hit every two weeks when I like tag everyone in there and say like, "All right, there's a new update," you know, and then all the little emoji reactions pile in, and you know, so it, it's been really fun. And I guess the easiest way to call it is a Discord community, but I, I mean, I don't really think of it that way. Uh, I'm not like trying to build this thriving community. It's just like, hey, you bought the book. You might have some questions on it. Like, I'm here if you need me uh, kind of a thing. So you don't call it the best in class iOS app book series family. (laughs) (laughs) Family, Yes, because that. what would that acronym even be? Uh, Yeah, best in class buddies is the best I could come up with. (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. Welcome to the community. (laughs) Just rolls off the tongue. And there's so much you can do with Discord that I don't even know yet. Like you can set up bots and all this other stuff, but I'm a I'm a total noob with it. Uh, I just use it as just basic uh, AOL instant messenger stuff. So, but it sounds like it's it sounds like it's serving it's it's solving the problem that you're wanting it to solve, um, and it's not causing the problems that you were afraid it might cause as far as like mm-hmm. stress right. management go. So that I mean that sounds awesome. It is, and it is for now, and that could always change. Like if it tripled or quadrupled in size, like years from now, then I'd have to get into the whole, you know, moderation stuff yeah. and, and and a lot of other things that that come with community. Um, that's expected. You know, it should be expected, like uh, codes of conduct, all that other stuff. But yeah, for right now, it's it's almost like strictly business in a way. Like the only communication that really happens in there is I have a question over X, like in general on iOS, or I found a typo. Or something about the book. So in that sense, that and I would rather keep it that way. I don't know if it'll, you know, again, we could listen to this 14 Christmases from now. It could be totally different. But in the here and the now, yeah, it's 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 been paying off. I like it. 
Awesome. So the book launch itself or the book beta launch itself went well, like you said. How was the process of transitioning from leading up to the launch to, all right, it's out there, go? Because now you have kind of two things. You you have on the content side, you're supposed to be doing regular updates every two weeks. And then on the right. uh, marketing side, you're no longer building hype to a launch, but you're trying to just, you know, create regular um, new customer acquisition for something that's yeah. no longer hyped in a big spike. So I guess starting on the content side, how how did that end up going? Do you feel like you've kind of fell into a groove? Yeah, you know, it's funny. You hear writers talk about like writer's block and how they go in these spurts. And it's really a lot like that. Like there's some weeks where I feel like I could just sit there for hours and just keep going on and on and on and just do so much. And then there's some where it feels like a college midterm paper is due and like the deadline's there and I got to finish it. And I stay up like late the night before, you know, doing 80% of the work. So it's like ebbs and flows between those two like extremes of the uh, side of the coin all the time. But there are things that I found that I really like doing with it. And there are things that I really don't like and I wish I could like outsource. For example, like when I'm writing chapters, I'll just put like a to-do that says, hey, you need an image for this thing or mm, do a screenshot. Yeah. T- TKs, is that what they're called? I have no idea. And no. I mean, Ulysses <laughs> has all the stuff that you can use to like put little marks and annotations and stuff. I just write a to-do comment like at source code and then I just <laughs> do command find, you know, and, and then find where they go. But so I don't really like making the images um, cause it takes a very long time, but they're needed and they help reinforce points. And right. I find like as a reader myself, if there's just too much text and it's not broken up, like I'm, a, I'm a, like a little kid that needs a picture book, you know, like you got to draw my attention away or like, you know, keep me interested with, <laughs> with a good graphic or image here and there. So I do the same thing with that, but like, I love the writing. I don't like doing that part and packaging it all up and all the logistics behind it. Uh, but now that I finished the book on accessibility and now that I'm on design, which is more opinionated and less like black and white, like here's the yeah. API, here's how it works, where it's more of like, here's what I think about design. Um, here's some principles that have helped me. It's been a really good shift because that's easier to write. Um, and I think the book's going to be pretty big on that because I have so many thoughts and I don't have to really like double check like code samples and stuff. So now I'm in like the other like side of that bell chart where or bell curve where I'm like feeling really good about writing this part. Um, but the accessibility book turned out really well, but it, you had to flex a lot of different technical muscles to write that, that little bit, but yeah, yeah. There's no, uh, object or subjectivity. It's kind of like, yeah, what you're saying has a black and white wrong, right or wrongness to it. And if you say Mm -hmm. something that's wrong, you're leading people down a literal wrong path, which is, you know, bad, (laughs) (laughs) not, not good. Yeah. And so, it's nice to be able to leave this part of the writing with, hey, these are my opinions. You might disagree, you might love them, but you know, let's rock and roll. So again, you can just kind of pour yourself out on the page a lot faster that way, which is right. which is motivating for me now because it's it's just quicker to write that stuff. That makes sense. Okay. So so content wise, you know, it almost sounds like having that two week deadline is really helpful because yeah, uh, writer's block can sometimes last a really long time, but you're almost not allowing that to be the case because you're doing the late night cram power through something uh, the night before, you know, kind of thing whenever you are stuck. Mm-hmm. And that probably helps get you unstuck uh, whenever you go on to the next section or whatever. Yeah. 
Exactly. It's just like it's a necessary evil in a way, um, even though it's not net, for lack of a better term, but because you have to do it, you know, like it's it's coming. It's like so. And if you right. don't do it, then you're going to be in a world of hurt. So uh, you give yourself no choice but to de- to deliver on the thing that you said that you would, which is why did the early access and why did the uh, two week deadline? Like originally I had one week and I'm glad that I changed it. Like that's a whole other post I should do sometime, like stuff that I changed before the launch, like cutting the video courses, changing it from one week to two weeks because uh, one week would have not like it would have been like a rough draft right like and the thing that i deliver every two weeks is more of like a final draft well and you'd have less flexibility for your life a lot less yeah that's the thing is having that having that buffer means you know you can have a regular cadence but if you have a family vacation that's a week long you can cram <laughs> you know before and cram after or whatever but if it's every week you don't really have that that same buffer the same way yeah and then some weeks like they it comes out really fast and they'll have like a, a chapter done that week and then other times it's like oh i needed more research you know because i did the initial table of contents which has a lot of notes but on especially technical things like i need to refresh my memory so the first two or three days might even just be research again so like right i wouldn't have i'd only have a few more days to write and i write it like during my work week which is four days long anyways so by then I get to Thursday and that's like my writing day and there's just no way I could could finish the whole thing. And not to mention shipping it and releasing it takes about an hour, uh, at least anyways. I have to make the social graphic, I have to write the emailing list. You know, I have this big shocked face again checklist of all the <laughs> stuff that I have to follow. So, you know, it's not like a, a, a short process where it's like, oh, I got stuff done, let me go ahead and throw it out there. It's like, yeah. you, know, you gotta package it all up, you gotta write the release notes, deploy that to the website, put it up to Gumroad, alert the people that there's a new version. Um, answers to some port emails of like, oh, hey, how do I get the new stuff? I don't see the email, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, one week would have been crazy town. Wouldn't have worked unless this was my full time job, which, which it's not. So two weeks it is. There you go. That I think that definitely sounds like a, I think having a tighter deadline than like a month is probably helpful. But I don't think uh, I don't think one week would have been very viable. Yeah. As a side gig. Uh, kind of deal anymore. No way. Yeah. You need enough time to do it and then strict enough to where you have to like yeah. think about it in a exactly. way. So a month would allow me to probably get a little too lazy. One week is the opposite. It's just not realistic. Two weeks, probably about the sweet spot. Which ironically, that's uh, that's the same cadence that this podcast is supposed to be following. <laughs> Boom. Which I was extremely consistent on uh, until, until I started this, well, I guess we'll call it season after the last break. <laughs> and then... Yes multiple scheduling issues all happened all at the same time and and i haven't made i've never out loud said this comes every two weeks but that was just the pattern i followed and i even felt that like that in your mental model intense pressure and like i felt really bad that i wasn't releasing it and why did i say i was going to release it when i didn't have two that were totally done already and (laughs) so i can't imagine if there's there's money on the line and you know i I can see why that would be very motivating uh, let's just say oh yeah yeah and when you've already got the customers who've yeah put the money down it's like yeah yeah, you've got to do it now (laughs) there's no turning back uh that said i did just put a recurring task and things to badger you every two weeks for a new episode of oh great yeah what about that to look forward to uh, now it's now that's in the system uh it's in the jordan algorithm <laughs> so it'll happen um, <laughs> oh i love it so moving over from the content side then is the other side which is the sort of marketing like how do you keep yeah trying to sell this book you know if if this were like a book in the traditional publishing world there'd be a publisher whose job is to 
market this, try and get it included in newsletters, uh, work with Barnes and Nobles or whoever to make sure it's on the end caps, all that stuff. You are doing this essentially all yourself. So how, how do you get people to keep buying the book when you no longer have the sort of standard, I have a Twitter following, let's do a big splash yeah. sales pitch? Because after that, you know, you have to do something else. So what, what was sort of the journey through that? I know there's been a lot. Yeah, there has. So the first thing that I realized is once I shipped this, like I was going to take marketing seriously. Like I was going to put an effort behind it. I was going to put money behind it and I was going to spend enough to figure out what would work and what wouldn't work. So yeah, like you said, you get that first push, like you would an app release, like, you know, people retweet it, people download it or people buy it, whatever. But after that, like no one really talks about the after that part. I feel like, uh, at least that, that I've seen, maybe they do, but I haven't seen a lot of it because the marketing is always fun. The big updates are always fun, but how do you make a product stay alive after that first push? And so that's kind of the thing that I wanted to figure out with this. So I've tried several different avenues. One, like you start at the beginning, where are the people at who would want to buy this? And my hypothesis was mainly they're on Twitter, right? There's a huge iOS community on Twitter, millions of, of people, I would say. So how do I reach them? Uh, you know, where do they hang out? Where do they go? Well, they're already on the platform, so that makes sense. They probably listen to tech podcasts, so I can look into that. They probably read newsletters that are in the community, like you know, iOS Dev Weekly. You know, maybe I could look into those things. And so I took like a good chunk of the first payout from Gumroad and just said, this is going to be for marketing. I think it was like you know five thousand dollars, which is more than I've ever spent on marketing. But I yeah was serious about it, so I really wanted to try it. So I wrote all those down and I wanted to try and see which ones would work. Uh, and I didn't want to get like too crazy with like analytics and stuff. So for each like kind of marketing avenue, I just hung a different URL off like best in class iOS app slash some podcast or some other link that I'm trying to track uh, with with plausible analytics. And so the first thing that I did was uh, the podcasts and, you know, I did under the radar and uh, app stories and and those worked really good. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons why I think those worked. One, for under the radar, that is like, you couldn't ask for a more perfect audience. Yeah, They're yeah. iOS developers, right? <laughs> like that. So that one made a ton of sense. The Venn diagram is uh, just a circle. <laughs> the overlap is 100%. It, totally. <laughs> there's no overlap. Yeah, right. And Marco's so great at reading out uh, ads. He, he's done it for years. Uh, so that was the first one I reached out to. Um, and I've done that one about four times now, and I'll probably do a few more next year. And it's fun because the day that those air, it's just, it's just fun to listen to like, you know, your product being talked about by someone, you know, so prominent like that show and, and Dave and Marco. But then you see like the sales kind of start popping in. And generally speaking with the podcast ad that I've tried, they pay for themselves on the first day. And then after that, that's where you get your, your revenue, right? Your profit for it. So if, and my internal metrics, if it pays for itself the first day it airs, it's good because you're going to get that residual following. You know, like sometimes people go to the backlog of Under the Radar. They listen to like months long episodes. Right. And my offer still stands at that point. It's still accurate. So podcasts have been great. I'll probably invest more of those in the future and uh, try maybe a stack trace next with uh, with Guy and John. Nice. Um, beyond that, uh, I look back at Twitter, right? So if people are on Twitter, how do I reach more people than I already have? And at this point, when I re sold or uh, launched the book, I think I had like, I don't know, say 10 to 15,000 followers. So I already had what I would consider a significant amount of people to, to talk to. Um, but the context was what was tricky because up to that point, I'd just been Jordan, the 
indie developer. Now I'm like, hey, I made this thing. Uh, do you want to buy it? You know, do you like it? Would this be interesting? And it's totally different because your Twitter persona is like not an indie developer so much anymore. Now it's like, hey, I'm making stuff. And I hope that it comes off as genuine and you like it. I'm trying not to overwhelm you with every tweet being about it. But like, so there's this huge dance that you kind of have to do that's totally different, which I don't really care for and really like, but it's kind of part of it, which leads into the Twitter ads I've tried, which is the more rocky part, I would say, of the whole process. So basically, long story short, with Twitter ads, I'd used them before with SpinStack. So, you know, they weren't something new to me. But there's all these different goal types that you can try when you do Twitter ads. There's like 15 of them. There's a lot. And so I set up the website like clicks pretty early on, which is pretty basic, right? You just say, here's my tweet. Um, it doesn't show in the normal timeline. It's just, a, well, I think what they consider a sponsored tweet. So it just shows okay. in like the algorithm of the ads. And then you give a URL, right? You know, here, if you want to buy it, go here. So I still run those today. All the, uh, you know, pretty, I just have it on like automatic. So it just, I don't have like an end goal. It just, as long as it keeps working, uh, then I'll just keep serving them. So they're doing that. And those are those like pay per, per click? Pay per click. Yes. Pay per click. Okay. So they can be a little bit more expensive, right? Cause you could pay 50 cents to a few bucks a click. So like you want to convert on those as best as you can. Right. Yeah. Cause you know, you could burn through 200 bucks in a day. And if you didn't sell three or four books, you know, from that URL, then you know, what's the point? Well, and that's, what's fascinating to me about this book versus versus Spinstack and most of the people probably listening's apps or something is like our cost per acquisition has to be ridiculously lower than a yes book that is much more expensive because like what is the current price of of the book 80 80 dollars right now so 80 dollars so if you're spending 50 cents per click you can afford a lot of those with only one you know um conversion whereas on the absolutely on the app side it's like you have to have a pretty big conversion rate now granted it's a lot easier to convert somebody on a four or five dollar app or something versus an 80 dollar book but it, it changes those dynamics yeah. like quite a bit which is kind of fascinating yes it does and it, it almost makes it more black and white because i can just say if i spend 200 dollars in ads a day and i can look at my website analytics and see that i got a lot of traffic from this twitter ad you know, then I can kind of put it together. I don't have it so honed in that I can say they came straight from Twitter and they bought it, but right. I've have enough data to where I can reliably look at that. Uh, but you're right. And I think that's why I'm so excited to do a subscription app someday. And that's another story because, <laughs> you know, you can generally charge more for those. And so, you know, you can, you can maybe pay a little bit more for acquisition, but, but yeah, so I've been doing those, but looking at Plausible's analytics and analytics from Twitter, just the basic ones like analytics.twitter.com. I always saw that like if more people came to my profile, like, and I would assume these are folks who don't follow me already. Like if that was up, then a lot more people would go to the website. And when more people go to the website, more people buy the book, right? That's kind of an easy trail to follow. Right. And so the thought process there became, well, how do I get more people to my web or uh, my Twitter profile page? Because it says right in my bio, like, hey, blah, 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 blah. I'm writing this book and my website link is right on there. So you can, you can look at that and say, I know if people are coming to my profile, they're going to get curious about that. They're going to check it out. Maybe it's something they want. And so I, I, so that became my next question. Uh, my next hypothesis was if I have more Twitter uh, profile views, I have more people going to the website. How can I amp that up? So then I looked at Twitter ads and they have follower ads, which I hadn't used, which 
pretty basic how they sound. You just write another, all, all Twitter ads, as far as I know, involve like writing a promoted tweet and then they use that in the Twitter ad algorithm. So I just, right. I looked around at some other people who had done some um, that I could see were promoted and that were working really well. And I, again, great artist steal. So I just pretty much stole someone from, I think the Ruby community and used their same template, but changed it for what I was doing in iOS. And, you know, it was targeted more towards beginners. Like, hey, you wanna learn more about iOS? Uh, follow me and I'll do my best to help out. I'm writing this book series too. And I pumped like a few hundred bucks into that. And almost like the within hours after the tweet was approved and the advert was approved, you could look in Twitter analytics and like my profile views were just going through the roof and more sales started coming in. So I did a baseline. I was like, if I cut off just the Twitter book sales and just use these Twitter follower ads, what is the cost? What is the acquisition? And it was very, very good because what I found out is if people visit your profile, and they don't follow you, you don't pay for anything in that scenario. Like they just, they looked at your profile and maybe they wanted the book, but they didn't follow you. Yeah, because from Twitter's perspective, the point of this ad is I'm a person who wants a bigger following. Exactly. And from your perspective, the point of the ad was I want more people going to my website. And so it was almost like a, a run around where it's like through your profile, it can take them, take them to your website which isn't how they've structured their, their, that advertising. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's not exactly how, I mean, I'm sure Twitter knows this. They're a huge company, but. Oh yeah. I, not to be clear. It's not like you're doing something shady. Uh, <laughs> it's more like it works out in your favor that the main, the people that are competing with you for those ads are competing for a different purpose. Exactly. And for you, the value is way higher than for like, a person like a streamer who's trying to build their online following, right? Like it makes sense that they'd want to build a bigger mm -hmm. online presence, but the, the cost per user to follow them is X. But for you, it's like a totally different cost structure. And so it's actually more valuable for you than it is for the majority of people buying advertisements for that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And when you benchmark it against the website, you know, Hey, I want you to click on this website ad. It's like, 90% cheaper or something like that. So it's way, way cheaper. Um, so I started using those. And um, I mean, to be clear, they they work for follows too. I mean, if, if you kind of gear them right and after I experimented, like once I figured out that they could work, I tried like three or four different variants over a month to kind of hone in on what was working the best. And yeah, I mean, you can get like a lot of followers that way too. And to be clear, having more followers is is beneficial when you're creating content too, but there's all this trust factor that goes into mm -hmm. it, right? Like people are only gonna follow you if they really wanna follow you, whether you have an ad running or not. Like if someone follows you and then you're like, you know, here's a picture of my dog Rhonda eating out of my dog food dish that I made in, you know, my uh, custom pottery barn last week. Like that's awesome and I love that social media exists, but it's like you're kind of selling yourself to them at that point. So. It's like you you feel more pressure to post useful stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that by far has been the hardest part of the whole content creation thing for me, because now it's like they came to my profile and they follow me for a reason. Like they want to learn about iOS or they want to get better at it. So it makes you feel like you have to post something useful and you can't really just be the guy just, you know, <laughs> talking shop with everybody. Um, and that's the part that I dislike the most. That's what I was going to ask is how much has it changed how Twitter feels to you? Because it Twitter for me still is like it's the place that you go to like hang out with other iOS devs. 
And yeah, part of that's because it's like, I'm not doing a lot of dark noise sales through Twitter. Like there's a degree of that, obviously, but it's not like the people yeah. I'm talking to, I'm trying to convert on buying dark noise because the, the audience overlap is not necessarily that big. Like the majority of the people I'm that are buying a white noise app are, they don't know who I am or anything like that. Whereas yours, it's now so overlapped, right? They're attached to the product. Yeah. It's like Twitter almost is becoming more of like a business, uh, yes. Entity for you. And like, absolutely. Like you're kind of describing it. It takes a little bit of the like personality out of you because you feel this different type of pressure. So like, how have you balanced that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, it's been really hard and I'm still trying to figure out how to do it the right way because, and I, I wrote this in my like retrospective blog post, like the TLDR is it's a lot more fun on Twitter to just be the indie app developer than it is to be someone who's making something, who's trying to sell it like any product. Yeah. Uh, because then you are mixed with the product now, like you kind of are the product. So you have to kind of sell yourself and you know, all the rules apply there. Like you be genuine, be helpful, try and give them something of value. Uh, but now Twitter literally is a sales channel for me the majority of the time. And I really miss just not feeling that pressure of it not being a sales channel where I could just, you know, and, and to be clear, I still just like chat it up with people on Twitter all the time. It's not like everything is strictly business and I have this content calendar planned out. Like, Yeah, but there's it's, it changes the underlying feeling. It does. Yeah, because you have so many new followers. And I was reflecting on this the other day. Uh, I don't know how many Twitter followers I have right now since I'm on my break, but let, I think it's like 22 or 23,000. You just, it's such a massive audience that you have. You can't keep up. <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah, you know how it goes. But, but it's that, a rough life being famous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hardly, hardly. But th- a lot of those people don't even know me from Spinstack, which right. is really weird, right? Like, because that's kind of like what I've been doing for so long. Your identity was wrapped up in that. Yeah, like they're not pounding on my door saying like tweet something helpful, but like you feel that. And I've read a lot of retrospectives from like YouTubers and stuff who say similar things like I feel like I have to post every day or, you know, if I stray from some persona, like I'm going to lose this audience. And so, yeah, you have to balance like what was previously my personal I'm just hanging out with this crowdness with I have like this business that I'm running and this just happens to be the primary sales channel now. So you you kind of have to make those two go together and the worst part about it i would think is like some of the perception that it can give give off like if people see you running like you know follow ads that say hey follow me i want to help you with ios a lot of people are really turned off by that because Mm -hmm. one they could assume things about you like this this person just wants to be famous they just want to have this huge audience they're buying vanity metrics yeah exactly and i've seen this before i hate it you know moving on and then some people will just outright block you because they hate seeing ads. <laughs> I even, I knew someone that I noticed that I was blocked by and I was like, wow, I, I know this person. I've never interacted with them on Twitter ever. So I felt comfortable enough to reach out on another channel that uh, we were on together. And I was like, hey, did I uh, offend you or anything? And they're like, no, honestly, I saw your ad like four times in one day and it drove me, <laughs> drove me crazy. And I was like, fair enough. I, you know, I totally get that. So like, that's the other side that you have yeah. to, to balance is, since you're selling yourself, some people don't want to be sold to. And like the iOS community is so small that if they see, you know, someone doing that, they just, they just don't like it. And, uh, that's the other part I've been having to balance. Cause I'm a really friendly, I like meeting people type of person and I'm, I'm pretty fragile, like, you know, with harsh words and stuff. So like, if you see that someone blocked you because you were running ads, like it, it kind of sucks. It hurts your feelings a little bit, but 
you have to respect that too because some people just don't want to see ads like right you know they've been doing ios for 10 15 years and they're like i don't need this like <laughs> you know get out of my way i just want to browse so you know it's, it's a totally fair play on that end but you have to be realistic because that's the other side of the equation if you're going to invest in building the following or customer acquisition there's always pros and cons to every approach. And, and that's a big con in my side because being just the uh, person who was making this app on the side on Twitter was a lot of fun. Being the person who's trying to sell something and make it worth their while and make it worth other people's while and having to acquire new customers through that same avenue where you used to just be some guy hanging out uh, is, is harder. And I don't know if I'll always do it because once the book series is done, I'll have to make a decision. Do I want to do more stuff like this or... Do I want to make apps? And like, if I go back to making apps, it'll be this weird transition where now I'm not making like the helpful tweets about iOS APIs or like what's new or the book series. Right. Now I'm like, all right, I'm back to just making apps again. So, you know, like anything in life, social media complicates everything and opens up so many doors all at the same time. So, <laughs> you know, there's never a good answer. Yeah, that's interesting. Have, like, I'm trying to, I'm thinking through the people I know in the community and it, it seems like a lot of them do still have you know, they'll talk about their vacations or whatever, but I'm like, I, I guess they probably are feeling mm -hmm. similar, similar pressures and stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess there's a, there's, like you said, you sort of entered this new niche of people and maybe, maybe there needs to be a sub community on, uh, you know, I don't know what the other social platforms would exist. Maybe this is the opportunity for Twitter communities. <laughs> hey, you know, and it's funny you mention that because, uh, Mark from Big Mountain Studios, uh, reached out to me early on because he's been doing this a long time and, and he's been super helpful uh, to like bounce ideas off of. And uh, he's good friends with uh, Chris who does coding with Chris. And so that's been like a nice little support system to, to kind of bounce these thoughts and stuff off of because yeah, yeah. you can kind of feel lonely in a way um, with, with all of it sometimes. And I don't feel bad at all about advertising something I'm pouring like my heart and soul into. And I truly believe it can be helpful for people. And like the sales have proven that like that's, I would say that's accurate, but it's, I don't know. Advertising is always so weird, isn't it? Like I, I actually really enjoy it. I think it's a fun thing to, to solve, yeah. but like how do you advertise effectively and like genuinely and honestly, no matter the medium, whether it's Twitter, whether it's social, whether it's, you know, news, what, whatever it is. Um, there's always like this balance you kind of have to find. Um, and to that point, I actually went with um, some Twitter copy that was less effective um, from a control experiment for some ads, but I felt were more me and less salesy. Yeah. And I went with those because it just, it, it helped me sleep better at night, right? I was like, this is kind of stressing me out. Um, you know, so I'll go with this one, even though it doesn't work as well, but you know, I can, yeah. you know, it still, it still works, but just not as well, but I feel better about it. Right. So you always have to kind of be tweaking things and figuring out what works for you and what's working for its actual purpose. Right. Cause otherwise you're just blowing money over nothing. So, uh, and I'm not a big fan of blowing money over nothing unless it's a new Apple product. Cause I will buy everything <laughs> they make. So, you know, I have a problem. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it makes me think of like analytics that feels like it's in a similar category where it's like great example yeah it's i think it's easy which this is the position i'm in currently it's easy to be like well i'm just not going to collect any analytics and then you know lots of people will praise you and you'll get lots of positive reinforcement from people that are like finally somebody who's you know not collecting anything and they're not doing all the evil stuff but it's like and the, those get praised in the community too exactly right and the same would go for marketing where it's like i'm not going to do any marketing at all and that it's it's kind of like that's the easy uh, route as far as praise goes. And then obviously there's also the other route, which yeah. is I'm just going to go full on collect everything. Don't care about the haters 
and that goes for mm-hmm. advertising and analytics too. But then there's that like, I feel like the really hard part. I, this is we. I think we talked about this when when Russ was on quite a bit. It's like the hard part is finding that middle ground of going okay to solve real customer needs. I need to be able to collect analytics to like make the app better for people. And how do I do that in a way that's also privacy conscious and user focused? Even though I know that some people are going to hate me for it this i th- i believe this is better for the user and for marketing it's it's a little similar it's a little different because you don't necessarily have the same this is better for the user but it's like your goal is is to make a thing and have it reach people like to help people and you have to go to where those people are somehow and so that is a real legitimate thing that's not just this sleazy money grab th- thing even though there's also an element of I'm sure you'd like the sales and the money too, which I don't think that's invalid. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's why I do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Finding the middle ground on how to do that in a way that uh, still aligns with your principles and knowing that people are going to, there's going to be people that judge you and are mad at you for that. I feel like that's the way harder, but also way more interesting to talk to people about uh, thing to wrestle with. It really is. Yeah. I've really enjoyed, and you've talked about it publicly, and I, I talked to Russ about this too. That to me, I think is just such a helpful thing because I think totally, I think where you end up with is this dividing line um, because people don't want to talk about it where people either do nothing because that's what the community, you know, rewards or they just go full on all out. They don't know a way to do it in a privacy centric way because nobody really wants to talk out loud about the way they're doing it and set examples. And so I, yeah. I do think that's like a really important thing. I do too. And it's like, I'm trying to do it like the, the most transparent way that I know how, because I've, that's how I've always done it. Like again, in our super exclusive B-roll, we were talking about this. Like <laughs> the reason I share transparently is to help other people. And, you know, I was mentioning, you mentioned about like how my launch post over SpinStack all those years ago, like was helpful for dark noise and like, and, and that's why I do those things. And so that's why I put it in the blog post uh, of my retrospective. You know, like, hey, here's all the advertising I'm using. Here's the podcast. I sponsored some newsletter. Here's the Twitter ads. Here's the two types that I'm using. And I almost, I when I was editing it down, I almost had this little funny quip about like the follower ads where I was like, I would have made the copy, hey, I already had like 15,000 followers. I don't really need more. And I'm doing this for profile visits and it's way cheaper than the ad click copies. <laughs> Here it is. But, you know, I don't think that would, would work as well. So it's like, you know, as long as you're transparent with people, um, I don't think it's a prereq, but it, but it helps me, you know, because I want to share what works. Like if someone else does a book series and they only have, say, $500 for a month or two months or three months or the year, I could tell them, hey, I use follower ads to get people to my profile. And if you have the link to the thing that you're making in your profile, that's going to get them there a lot faster and more exposure and more impressions and be 90% cheaper than website click ads. So it's like, if you had this machine, like I said in the blog post, where you put like two bucks in and got four bucks out, like it's kind of hard to not keep using that little yeah. magical machine. Um, because as we mentioned, there's millions of iOS developers. So, you know, as, as small as the community feels, there's so many people that don't um, know that I exist or that I'm even making this book. And those are the people that are buying the book every day, the new people that I reach. So it's not like for me, sales just doesn't happen. Like we love to praise and laud the people that just did it all organically and like their app took off. They didn't even really try and it just worked. But that doesn't happen a lot. And we can't really learn from those people because we probably can't replicate it because that was, right. you know, a, a one-off anomaly. And the things that can work that you have to try at that's really hard is like advertising, getting your word out there, getting your message out, figuring out where those people are at. 
you know, and, th- and those things can really work, um, but you have to figure out how to do it. And, but yeah, there's always the mental aspect. But for me, it's like, as long as I share what I'm doing so people can learn from it and because I just feel good about it, I enjoy it, like th- then I'm good with it. But I will say, like, like we said, it's been the trickiest kind of process with, with everything where Twitter now changes to the sales channel in a way. It's not all it is, but a lot of it, you know, is by nature of the people being there and I and I use all these different types of ads and some people hate those ads and then it hurts my feelings because I love people and I want everyone to, to be my friend anyways but you know what at the end of the day uh the money goes to like my my kids college stuff it goes to retirement it pays for vacations like making more money um as long as you know you're doing it for reasons that make sense for you and your family is not a bad thing at all and to do that I've got to advertise so you know here I am yeah and I guess the last point I want to make on this is like you know, we talked about this specific thing that worked really well for you. Um, and before anybody, you know, people all rush out and and start buying uh, profile ads. I do think <laughs> there's there's a very specific... Uh, like, I think you're in a unique position where you're, what you're targeting is iOS developers to buy a book about iOS development. And you're... Twitter profile and who you are is a major contributing factor to people wanting to buy that book. And so I do think that that's a unique like channel as far as, uh, right. you know, that working like, cause I've obviously thought about this since you posted that about <laughs> with dark noise. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think it makes the same amount of sense. Like for me. Right. Right. Um, I mean, I might still like experiment with it and try it, but, um, like anything with advertising, everything, if, if anything is going to be, a total guarantee then it's going to be super duper expensive because absolutely that's how it works like everybody will take advantage of that you know um you got like the the key seems to be to find what is unique about you that makes something work better for you than it works for other people so that you can uh it is cheaper for you for whatever reason to do to do that thing unless you just have so much money you can sort of dive in headfirst to the same <laughs> what a nice problem to have yeah right well but like you know a lot of people costs like uh the goal isn't to be profitable you know what i mean it's like you're trying to build the following and oh, you're okay yeah. losing money, right that's who you're competing with a lot of times yeah yeah i just i i do think i just i find that story fascinating because it's a it's an ad type that i'd never heard of and a way of using it that I would have never thought of. Um, and it just fits really perfectly with what you're doing. And I think that's fascinating. And so I've definitely been cycling in my head on, on my projects, like what are similar things? Not what, how can I apply the exact same thing you're doing, but it's like, how can I look at the problems that I'm trying to solve the same way you're looking at them? Yeah. Like if I wanted to build the audience for this podcast, you know, what would I do? Which actually would probably be similar to yours. Cause it's a very similar demographic. And you know, in that case, I think it would work really well too, because in a way, and this is my biggest hang up with, with those kinds of ads, even though they work well, is if you did it for launched, you could detach yourself from the ad, right? The ad is from launched. It's not. Oh yeah, that's true. From Charlie. I mean, it kind of is, you know? So it's like, if I had a Twitter account for best in class iOS app book, like I would use that and I would not even bat an eye. Have you thought about that? Like, why Why have you not done that? I have, but when I kind of look at all the pros and cons, like there's the one con to the advertising that bothers me, which is like, 
some people would get the wrong perception of what I'm trying to do. That, I mean, and that's really it. And then the pros are like, they're going to my profile. They look at my tweets over iOS development. I build trust with them. Like my Twitter account in a way is like a newsletter to those right. new people that I'm reaching. And shows an authority on why people should trust the book itself. You know, they can see the person behind it. Yeah, yeah. Like you're putting your name behind it, which which sucks and is great for all those reasons right, yeah. that I just <laughs> listed. But but I think the the main thing is just like, just try stuff. Like I yeah. did not set out with that ad type. And I didn't, like you said, I didn't even know it existed until I was going through Twitter and I was trying to figure out how to get more profile visits. But it's like, you just never know. And that's why I think it's great to set out a small chunk of your revenue from whatever it is you're making to, you know, just try some stuff out and see where the hook's going to be. Because um, I wouldn't have found it unless I took some of the, because it's easy to take that side project money. And I say this every epi- uh, episode we're on, this would be a good blog post. It's easy to take that side project money and like, how do you spend it? Like the first thing you think about is, well, I have a real job that's paying my real stuff. This is like supplementary to savings or, you know, fun stuff, whatever it is. Like, I used to not think of investing it back into the product. So now that I've done that, it's it's made all the difference. And I think that's why it's still going strong today. Yeah, I, you know, to get a little introspective here, you know, it's just it's just me and you. This Do is it. a Christmas special. We're sitting by yes. the fire. We're just chatting. <laughs> Christmas introspection. <laughs> I, for this podcast, like I, I really like the idea of of it making some money to a degree. Although to be honest with you, the main thing I'm getting out of this project is uh, tricking people into talking with me for an hour that I look up to. You know what I mean? Uh, and that <laughs> genuinely is like a big part of the benefit. But like, I think I've said it on the show before, but like the, the really big sticking point that makes it really difficult to do uh, other than scheduling, because that's hard, is, is just editing takes a lot of time. Like I enjoy doing it, but it's just a huge time suck. Right. Um, and I love the idea of hiring an editor. But right now, the podcast makes no money at all. And it's like the audience isn't really big enough at this stage for it to make enough money to like pay for an editor. And because of that, it's not really worth it to me to deal with figuring out a way for it to make money, if that makes sense. It's like this sort of weird loop. Yeah. And so I like I've thought a lot about like what are ways I could try to uh, to to make this generate some revenue, whether it's, you know, like a Patreon or, or bringing in advertising or anything like that. And I think the thing that, you know, you talking about this a couple of weeks ago really started making me think is like, like I, you talked about how do I spend this money for side projects? Uh, the way I spend dark noise money for the most part is letting it sit in account in just pure fear of what taxes are going to be. Uh, I'm like afraid to spend the money. Basically, <laughs> I will almost only spend that money on things that I feel 100% confident I'm not going to get in trouble from the IRS from by calling it a business expense because then I know it won't be taxed. Totally. Uh, and so I'm like, you know, should I be like, maybe it does make sense to take a small amount of money to invest in this show, specifically in advertising, which sounds weird, but for the purpose of could I grow the audience big enough to make advertising or, or Patreon or something worth it, you know, totally to actually make enough to potentially get an editor because, because that editor is sort of that, that marker where it's like, if I can get here, this is a thing. Well, then it becomes so much less of a burden for me to keep up with. If that makes sense. I really like the idea of making this a little more sustainable. Yeah. And it's relatively sustainable. I mean, from the get go, 
I was very careful about how I structured it to make it to where it could stay a side hobby and be okay. And that's why I've never hesitated to be like, summer is going to be rough. I'm just going to take summer off. And like, I try to like, I'm, I'm like you, I, I just land in a schedule. I told myself at the beginning, I wasn't going to follow a strict schedule. And then I released every other Tuesday for like (laughs) six months. And I'm like, okay, I'm on a schedule. Like I'm kidding myself, but I can take breaks. You know, I, I found ways to make it kind of work, but, but yeah, ultimately I think experimenting with, with advertising in some way is something that I do want to try for this, but it feels, I'm sure lots of people listening are similar. It's like, because it's a side project, it feels like advertising is something you do when you own a business and you're like a big, big boy, you know, right. A businessman. And it feels weird, especially because it's bringing in no revenue now, um, to attempt that. And maybe that, maybe the other way to do it is to find some small revenue channel and just funnel that revenue directly into marketing and hope that it grows and becomes like a, a sort of feedback loop. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm spitballing here. This is different than a normal episode. <laughs> no, I mean, Hey, that's what the uh, annual Christmas bash is yeah. all about. But... <laughs> We're already calling it annual. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You're on the calendar for next year, but yeah, I think you could draw a lot of parallels from what you're saying about like what I was th- originally thinking about with the book and the process leading up to it. So like you've done launched for over a year so you have that trust aspect now, right? Like you've already built up the trust. You're past that point. And I think that's a big barrier that you need to get to first before you advertise. And in my opinion, just from what's worked for me, a lot of people advertise first and try to build trust along the way. And that's where it gets a little bit murky. Um, but you've already done it. So I think people like I know for one, and I know more people would agree with this. Like we want to see launch succeed. We want to see you succeed. So it's like if you put out a way to make money, to make it more sustainable for you, to make you get an editor, then we get more episodes Then like everybody wins there. Like we get value proposition, you get value proposition. Maybe your motivation goes up. Maybe it grows into something else entirely you know who knows but i think now that you've got the trust there uh with a lot of great quality episodes you could you could experiment with that a little bit more like whether it's a uh you know and an ad spot in the podcast itself whether it's through a patreon whether it's through some other paid tier for like the the b-roll that people from this episode would probably pay to be able to skip (laughs) with all our (laughs) bantering but you know what i'm you know what i'm saying like i think like it would be I think it'd be really interesting because it's a new medium that I haven't tried to uh, uh, advertise for. So I'm just genuinely curious to see what would happen if you tried to build up a podcast. I think that sounds exciting. Um, But the trust is there. So like I I say like, you know, you know, why not give give it a shot and see what it could grow into? Because I used to feel really weird about saying this to myself or even publicly, but like there's no shame in like trying to monetize something you spend so much time on and so much effort on. Like you don't have to, if you don't want to definitely don't, but like, it's not bad to do that too, because eventually for someone like me and you married with kids and have a family and a job, like you kind of have to make it worth your while to a degree. And I know you get a lot of personal enjoyment out of it anyway. So you're kind of getting that feedback loop of, you know, uh, positive reinforcement anyways, but if you could monetize it in some way and a way that you feel good about, then maybe the podcast grows. And I think that's a win-win for all of us. Yeah. I think, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I, uh, you got my gears turning now. (laughs) Oh yes. I love it. We'll we'll check back in next year and, uh, and, uh, (laughs) see, see what we think. So, uh, I guess on that end for anybody who's, who's still with us, uh, on, on this Christmas, uh, <laughs> all three of you, you know, yeah, all three of you. Um, I'm curious, I am curious what other people think if, if you really did make it this far, uh, like 
what seems because I, I you know there's kind of the two the two tracks there's advertising which that's the the easy one right and then there's the patreon memberful whatever you want to some sort of membership program and the trick with the membership program is you have to have some sort of uh value proposition that goes with that i mean you could just say can you give me money for nothing but yeah you'd have to have something and you know all of this is sort of revolving around me wanting to pay for an editor so it takes less of my time and so i'd hate to like backfill that this is also my fear with advertising is i i don't want to backfill that with something that ends up taking me more time and it's like maybe i'm making money out of the whole deal but the goal is to reduce the time commitment not necessarily to have it making money although again as we've established money's nice sometimes too uh (laughs) yes so i'm curious if people have ideas uh for for what type of thing would make sense as bonus content that the trick is is reason isn't like this big time suck because like a normal podcast it's like oh we'll just record an extra 30 minutes beforehand but i'm already asking people who have businesses or jobs for i usually ask for an hour and a half of people's time and so adding an extra hour or 30 minutes to that one isn't necessarily feasible around my schedule but more importantly i don't know that i can ask that about other people's schedules so it's like what kind of bonus content would even make sense um in that kind of context yeah. Yeah. My, my years are turning too. I think from first blush, it sounds like paid advertising spots might be good because yeah. you can make those cut and dry faster. Um, and that's one quick lesson that I've learned with the book is I've had like three or four companies reach out and they wanted to like sponsor the book in some way to advertise. Mm. But from those conversations, I couldn't get to a place where both of us were happy with what it would look like. So one quick lesson that I've learned is like, I've got to make it as easy enough as I can for me. And so like I've replied yeah. back to him like, hey, I'm going to launch sponsorships on my own website sometime next year. They'll be dirt cheap because I haven't written regularly, but I will next year. You know, come back with those. It'll just be like daring fireballs. If you've seen those, just one yeah. image and a link and that's it. But like that makes it super quick and easy. And I think I can do that for me. So it's like, I think it's good to make your own rules like and be really strict with what you want it to look like so for you it's like this this battle of value proposition versus the time that you have to put into it right and to find like the balance there um and my free uh not expert consultation over the matter is it sounds like ad spots would be a great place to start because they're quick and the value add is there and you don't have to spend extra time with a b-roll or managing membership but uh who knows maybe a year from now that's what you do and it works out perfectly so (laughs) i guess we'll wait and see yep yep wait and see all right. Well, we should probably probably wrap this up. The fire fire over here is almost out. You know, uh, <laughs> cue Christmas music slowing down. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I really didn't do much to make this feel Christmassy. <laughs> I keep fighting for that Christmas music back here. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'll cut this if it doesn't make sense. But after the credits roll, maybe we'll have a little bit of B roll from the, our earlier conversation. Um, and that will probably just be unedited, although I'm kidding myself if I say that I'm not going to edit it, but I'll do my best to not edit it. Um, and uh, and yeah, so how can people find you and uh, and your book? Yeah, so uh, the book is at bestinclassiosapp.com and Twitter at JordanMorgan10. Uh, come and say hi and we'll have a, a jolly old time. There's my Christmas theme plug. So I, I did buy part, there you go. Charlie. There's the Christmas part. Ho, ho, ho. To it. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. <laughs> 
All right. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everyone. Hope you hope you enjoyed this extra bonus episode uh, as much as it was fun for me to just hang out with Jordan. I pulled him out of his uh, his you know internet <laughs> separation hole and and brought him to you here for uh, for your enjoyment. Yes. Now let's go play Halo. Let's go play Halo. All right. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched.fm. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launched.fm.com. So like this is like the most backwards thing in our community I feel like but I've been thinking about you know next year goals kind of things and like what are what are oh, things I, I, I care too, about yeah. you know what I mean and I'm realizing that this is going to sound really bizarre I know but like I think one of my goals might be post more to Twitter which is weird but I've noticed like I as I've gotten a bigger following, I've gotten more paranoid about saying things. Like I'm way more careful. Oh, I know what you mean. Which I was before too. But I'm like, I think I might be... And I have a new outlet. Like I have like our different DMs. I have a couple different friends that I engage with in the community. So I don't... It's not like the only place I can go to talk to people about this stuff. But I've noticed like... I Like whenever I do like make myself post something and get past that like five minutes after where i'm like i should just delete that like there's a chance there's somebody i can see a way somebody could misread that and i don't want that out there yeah i always end up being happier because people engage and it's fun and it's like a legitimate and i feel like i'm contributing to the conversation and i'm like i'm like i I feel like i'm doing something wrong if this is what i'm saying to myself but i think i'm like doing the reverse (laughs) like disengage from social media i'm like i feel worse because of how much less engaged i've been with social media (laughs) Uh, yeah no i know you mean like and twitter's got you like you can't run from it in a way like it's so valuable for ios like if i wanted to find a new job tomorrow i wouldn't like go to linkedin or anything i'd post it on twitter that'd be the first place i went yeah and that would be the best way to do it so it's like you you almost can't pass it up in the world of ios but no i know what you mean it's like you want you want to be part of the conversation but you don't want to be consumed by it and like i always oscillate one way or the other like i'm either doing really good with it if I'm not doing some like extreme right now where I'm just like not on it, but right. it's like things are flowing. Like I'll post like one helpful thing a day. It's good. Either that or I'm like, oh, this is stressing me out. <laughs> I hate <laughs> it. Make it go away. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't been like that in a while. Like the only times I feel stressed out about social media, or at least I feel like it's social media. What I'll realize is what I'm really stressed out about is a, a topic. And it's not really social. I mean, maybe social mm-hmm. media is amplifying it, but like, yeah, I'm stressed out about electing a demagogue dictator or I'm stressed out about the world <laughs> shutting down and, you know, my yes. family members dying. Like, but that's the reason I was stressed and social media might be amplifying it. But like, that was the medium by which I felt that stress. But you, you could change it to sitting there watching the the news constantly after 9-11 or whatever other moments in history that were similar. Take your poison. Dude. Um, yeah. It's just that that's the medium where I 
engage with the world the most got it yeah um yeah no and that's why i always think about like how to how to use it too and yeah that's like why after i did my last retrospective post on the book series i wasn't i like i didn't really like say it but like going forward i'm not really going to post about sales number anymore because like i know like some people it's just like man screw that like i haven't done anything like and he's yeah good. you know I've, I've like felt that before like someone like does a course and made like a half million dollars i'm like man what have i even like done like this some that i'm out of here you know but like it goes it's both ways because it's though, like right? it's not why i'm doing it yet it's yeah like i'm trying to because i've been motivated by that stuff before too but it's like you never know you what literally mood. you doing that is what motivated me leading up to dark noise like very specifically your exact post right after you launched spend stack Oh, that was like a guideline. Yeah. So like I can trace and, and there's other things, you know, but that in particular and you being raw about specific things was legitimately like a big thing for me. So like, exactly. Yeah. I have the same feeling though. I'm like, I can't tell if the net negative and net positive weigh each other out. The (laughs) thing that sucks is, you know, that there's net negative and mm-hmm. so and you can't avoid it. It's easy to say always do do don't do the thing. This is what I'm like with tweeting or engaging or doing anything I do. Right. It's like not doing the thing will guarantee that I won't get the negative response. And then the positive response won't be mad at me for not giving them the positive response because they didn't know that that was a thing that could be there in the first that place. That it wasn't even coming. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like the easy answer uh, is always to not do the thing. Um and that those problems like ratchet up like each like say thousand followers that that you get mm-hmm. it's like and that's why i took uh my employer out of my bio because i was like if i do something that like yeah rub someone the wrong way you know like i'm not gonna i've always been very in, the, in our message paranoid about uh about having who i work for like i tweeted when i started a stitch fix and i almost felt weird about it and then I've I've been on podcasts or stuff before and people will be like, oh, yeah, are you at a full time place? Like, oh, where is it at? And I like hesitate mm-hmm. and I don't it's not like my yeah. company doesn't want me to say who I work for. In fact, I think they do want people to be like, yeah, I work for blah, blah, blah. Exactly. But I am so paranoid about representing them, um, even though and I'm like so cagey so about my own my opinions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My opinions are my own and do not represent my employer or whatever. <laughs> I think those are like legal requirements from back in the day. Uh, I don't <laughs> oh really know. Boy. Man, this, this is like some good B side. Honestly, no joke. I was like, you said something earlier and I was like, oh, I wish that was recorded. And I'm like, well, I am recording. I don't know if you are. Yeah, you can use any of this. I, I might care. throw uh, it at no, the I'm end. Not. Uh, okay, well, I might, I might put it at the end. It's a Christmas episode, you know, uh, mm-hmm. we're, this is uh, it's just our kickback yeah we're just chilling out i'm seated i love it i'm not surrounded by my uh my recording studio pillow fort like i normally am Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah man and the wife and the kids are at the gym so like it's it's all set up perfect here in fact after this i'm hopping on infinite there you go nice yeah every once in a while i get that notification on my phone and i'm like ah jordan's jordan's off isn't he (laughs) (laughs) oh man i've been i've been hitting it hard lately (laughs) <sighs> it's so good oh it fun really, stuff before really we is. kick off i'm gonna get i'm gonna fill this up yep because i'll do that. sure i'll need it so be right back <laughs> 